This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have a couple of very special guests today, people we've uh, hoped we might bring to you in the past. The first is author William Poundstone, the person who's produced uh, the Big Secrets series of books. He has a new book out titled Gaming the Vote, Why Elections Aren't Fair and What We Can Do About It. William Poundstone's a bit of a professional skeptic who studied physics at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology before he turned to writing. And... Judge Joseph Wapner of The People's Court has written a new ebook titled The Secrets to Winning in Small Claims Court. And we'll speak to Judge Wapner a bit about his excellent little book and maybe a bit about uh, The People's Court as well in segment three. We'd like to note in the way of follow-up that uh, Mayor Willie Brown appeared in Sacramento Tuesday night at the Crest Theater to a pretty much full house. We hope you had a chance to attend that event, but if you didn't, you may want to listen to last week's program on our archives at radioparallax.com. On next week's program, we're going to try and have a few more words about the mayor from our bicycling correspondent, Paul Dorn. Evidently, the mayor locked horns with San Francisco's bicycling community uh, some years back, and I'm sure Paul will be happy to tell us a bit about that. Let us start the show, as we always like to do, with On This Date in History, which in our case today is February 21st. It was on February 21st in 1848 that Karl Marx, with help from Friedrich Engels, published The Communist Manifesto, perhaps the most influential political pamphlet in history. In it, Marx predicted imminent revolution, and was right insofar that within days, a revolt in France, anyway, forced King Louis-Philippe to abdicate. It took 69 years for the first nation to experiment with communism, that being the Soviet Union in 1917. As a method of organizing societies, it was something less than a rousing success. And in fact, as we speak, about the only three places on earth where you can still find communist governments are North Korea, Cuba, and the Berkeley City Council. And I'm sorry, I've used it before, but I just couldn't resist. On this date in 1885, the Washington Monument, a 555-foot-high marble obelisk built in honor of America's Revolutionary War hero and first president, was finally dedicated in Washington, D.C. And on this date, February 21st in 1916, German forces opened one of the most cataclysmic engagements of World War I or any other war, the Battle of Verdun. The five-month ensuing battle killed hundreds of thousands of forces on both sides of the Meuse River. The Battle of Verdun, in fact, is considered the worst and longest battle in world history. The battle lasted until December 19th of that year, causing over 700,000 casualties and 300,000 deaths. Never before nor since has there been such a lengthy battle involving so many men situated on such a tiny piece of land. The battlefield was not even 10 square kilometers. The Battle of Verdun degenerated into a matter of prestige for Germany and France, who continued fighting, literally, for the sake of fighting. Our quote of the day comes from the American president, who once said, I'm a man of limited talents from a small town. I don't seem to grasp that I am president. And no, that was not said by George W. Bush. It was, in fact, said by America's 
second worst president of the last 100 years, Warren G. Harding. Our quip of the day comes from personal shopper Kaylin Johnson of New York City, who remarked on the finding that people's spending judgment goes out the window when they're feeling sad. I've seen buyer's remorse. It kicks in after they realize that a new pair of shoes didn't make them feel better. And there's that sense of, oh my God, why did I spend money on this? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, please do yourself a favor. Do not shop while depressed. Our stat of the day comes from USA Today that notes that for every 1 million Americans, there are now 65 video stores, 17 movie theaters, but just one drive-in theater. Our joke of the day will be culled from the Radar 100. The current issue of Radar has a list of 100 things not to say during your job interview. We're choosing our top dozen. All right, Radar Magazine, things you might not want to say during your job interview. If I smell like Cheez-Its, it's just because I love them so freaking much. Or how about, do you have a speakerphone? My lawyer would like to be involved. How about this one? Think of me as the hamburger helper to your skillet of ground workload. Yeah, sometimes you can get a little too flowery. All right, things not to say during a job interview? Why, yes, it is a fake beard. Or, you're not going to make me take one of those damn anger management seminars, are you? All right, things not to say during a job interview. How about, oh, I see, but it's fine if a black person like you says it. Also, as you reach into your pocket, care for a slice of bacon? All right, things you might not want to say in a job interview. Why is your typewriter connected to your TV set? Also, what are my requirements? Well, three hots and a cot. Number 10, things not to say during a job interview. My work ethic, very strong. It's practically Asian. And uh, two final things not to say during a job interview. A, my e-meter readings are on the back. Or B, is this a Christian workplace? Or am I going to have my work cut out for me? Yes, we think you would do well to avoid all of the above. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week this week for getting your priorities straight after a Florida woman was pulled over for allegedly having a 24-pack of beer strapped into a seatbelt so it wouldn't be jostled while her 16-month-old girl was unrestrained in the back seat. And it was a bad week for animal rights a couple weeks back when a relative in China gave Gan Shugen of Chengdu City a chicken stuffed in a thick plastic bag, its legs bound with tape. Figuring it was dead, he put it in the freezer. Two days later, upon opening the door, he found out it was very much alive. But this story does have a happy ending. Mr. Gan Shugen heard weak sounds, he said, and when he opened the bag, a head popped out. 
It was still warm, and when I removed the tape, she could stand. Gan will now keep the chicken as a pet. And it was kind of an ugly week recently for medical forecasting. After actor Sylvester Stallone, who was recently fined $10,000 for bringing human growth hormone into Australia, told Time Magazine, HGAs is nothing. Everyone over 40 years old should investigate it because it would increase the quality of your life. Mark my words, in 10 years, it will be over the counter. Well, Mark Radio Parallax's words, in 10 years, it will not. In other news, it's a little too early to comment about uh, the Pentagon's joyous efforts to use a crippled satellite um, as a basically target to blow up and return to Earth. But this is a very, very strange story. Fixing the problem of an errant spy satellite with, the, with uh, you know, imminent reentry into the atmosphere, try, trying to fix that by blowing it up with a rocket, well, it's, it's a bit like trying to treat hemorrhoids maybe with a hand grenade. I mean, surely some fragments are going to be blown into a higher orbit, which is just going to, you know, increase the problems of space junk. Now note, there are 18,000 man-made objects in orbit. Of those, only, eight, only about 850 are functioning satellites, including the International Space Station. The amount of debris was apparently increased by about 5,000 objects 13 months ago when the Chinese destroyed one of their satellites with a missile. So the idea of putting maybe five or 6,000 more bits and pieces of junk orbiting the Earth is, well, it just strikes us as really, really dumb. Speaking of dumb, this idea that we're going to uh, solve the world's energy problem by using biofuels is being proven to be, uh, well, the hoax that we always thought it was. Scientists doing the math recently have noted that for every 10,000 square meters of Brazilian rainforest cleared for growing biodiesel, 700 tons of CO2 would be released. It would take the carbon savings from the resulting biodiesel about 300 years to cancel that out. Doing the same sort of math on Indonesian rainforests cleared to grow palm oil creates a carbon debt that'll take about 400 years to repay. So just keep this in mind. If George Bush thinks this is a really good idea environmentally, well, enough said. And speaking of George W. Bush, I hope you caught to the Sacramento Bee's uh, Sunday edition with the picture of George and Laura in Benin on their first stop of their trip to Africa. W., with his red tie, appears to be leaning over to address uh, several of the Beninese children. In spite of the president's best howdy-doody impression, the children all look as though they wish they were somewhere a long way from where they were. The trip is intended to demonstrate the success of the Bush administration's program in fighting HIV-AIDS and malaria and encouraging clean government. Because we all know what sticklers the Bush-Cheney administration have been for clean government. 
There have been a few critics that have pointed out the president is sidestepping such trouble spots as Chad, Darfur, and Kenya, where more than 1,000 people have died in post-election political violence in the past six weeks. Chris, one thing I find curious about all the coverage from Kenya, which we are going to talk about in the weeks to come, is the fact that they did steal the election in Kenya, which has caused a certain amount of ill will to develop. You know, we praised the McClatchy organization many times on this show for some of their fine work, but I must say that the recent article by Shashank Bengali was not one of their finer moments. Under the headline, In Africa, Bush AIDS Effort Shines, subtitled President's Six-Day Five-Nation Tour to Show Progress Made. The article opened with, In much of the world, President Bush's foreign policy will be remembered for the Iraq War. But in these emerald hills in Central Africa, his legacy looks brighter. Now, the article notes that apparently 50,000 Rwandans are receiving life-saving drugs, up from a mere 800 a few years ago, thanks to a $15 billion global anti-AIDS plan that Bush launched in 2003. Writing in the LA Times, James Gertzenzang noted that critics have said that the AIDS program, which began five years ago with $15 billion, needs actually $50 billion and a five-year commitment. We would like to note, in spite of Mr. Bengali's uh, passing remark about the Iraq war, we're spending about $2 billion per week in Iraq, which means that the yearly commitment to this Africa AIDS program is about $3 billion. What we're spending in Iraq in, well, you know, a week and a half. Anyway, and speaking of uh, you know, efforts to get good PR, which we just were, interesting article by Jim Giles, a new scientist, Notes some of the continuing good work being done at our sister campus, uh, UC San Francisco. They've been probing the efforts of Big Tobacco by examining some of their papers down there at UCSF. And they've noted that tobacco companies, this should not be much of a surprise, funded scientific research aimed at downplaying the risks of smoking. Well, most people know that. What wasn't so well known was the fact that tobacco companies also bankrolled a network of economists, philosophers, and sociologists. Members of that network generated extensive media coverage and numerous academic articles. With, by the way, almost no mention that the work had been paid for by cigarette manufacturers. Apparently in the 70s, a big tobacco got together to form a network at the time when the social impacts of smoking, such as fire risks and medical costs, were increasingly being discussed. Unearthed documents show that seven international cigarette firms, including industry giants Philip Morris, British, American Tobacco, and Rothmans met in 1977 to formulate this united front to the threat. The company started by bankrolling academics opposed to smoking restrictions, including economists, who questioned the financial benefits of the restrictions, and anthropologists, who argued that smoking brings people together, and so has social benefits. We might add to that line of reasoning, so does gang rape. Meanwhile, psychologist Hans Asenik, who'd already been linked to Big Tobacco, uh, contributed a paper blaming genetic factors for tobacco-related diseases. Another tobacco lapdog philosopher, Roger Scruton, wrote a piece for the Times of London in 1998 that attacked arguments over smoking and health costs by noting, for example, that smokers impose less of a health burden than others because they die early. Tobacco firms also pumped a half million dollars a year during the 90s into Associates for Research into the Science of Enjoyment, a group which attacked health, quote, puritanism, unquote. 
I don't know. It's sad. Former friend of mine who used to work here in, in Sacramento as a lobbyist for tobacco, which is one reason he's a former friend, he used to tell me with a straight face, no, no, no. Big Tobacco is not funding these smokers' rights groups. These smokers' rights groups have a lot of problems with Big Tobacco. Of course, it turned out later that these smokers' rights groups were, in fact, part of the PR firm Hill and Knowlton's efforts to put together a so-called grassroots movement that advocated for, quote, smokers' rights, unquote. And now let's have a word from America's foremost political comic and our pal, Will Durst. Thanks, Doug. And today I want to talk about the Republican primary, which is all over but the shouting. And the only shouting coming from the Huckabee camp is destined to be of the we was robbed variety. He ain't giving up, as the former Portly, former governor from Arkansas is wont to say, we've entered the survival of the fittest phase of the election. Strange talk from a man who doesn't believe in evolution. From my perspective, it looks more like the gnawing off one of your legs to get out of the coyote trap phase of the election. The GOP faces the curious choice of a man who believes humans and dinosaurs walked the earth together, and another man who can personally refute that since he was there at the time. Huckabee says he doesn't believe in numbers, he believes in miracles. The hell does that mean? He's waiting for God to smite John McCain dead? (laughs) And it might be working, because I gotta tell you, I'm worried about the good senator from Arizona. I am. He don't look so good. Remember that lump in his face that he had surgically removed a couple of years ago? Well, it's back, and it brought its big brother with it. He looks like a squirrel, hoarding nuts for the winter. This is not good. Nobody wants people calling their president marsupial face. Particularly distressing because Mr. Comeback Coot is not a young man. At 72, Lumpy would be the oldest white man to enter the presidency. Can't you imagine his 10-car motorcade holding up traffic doing 30 in the fast lane with their left blinkers on? Holding state dinners at Denny's on Thursdays to take advantage of the senior discount. And his campaign slogan? Hey, you punks, get off my lawn. The presumptive GOP nominee says we're going to be in Iraq for 100 years. Well, of course we will. We still have a base in Cuba, for crumb's sake, and we've been their mortal enemy for 50 years. And that's all because of the Spanish-American War, which ended in 1898. Just ask John McCain. After all, he was there. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. And I'm sorry to say we're up against it on time. We have so much, so much to talk about and so little time sometimes that we have two great guests to follow. William Poundstone in our next segment, followed by Judge Joseph Wapner in segment three. By all means, stay tuned. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax.